HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Cutting the Curd has been brought to you by Academy Opus Cassius. The Academy Opus Cassius is the cheese industry's unique center for professional development, offering both practical and classroom training in the heart of France. For more information, visit academy-mons.com. That's A-C-A-D-E-M-I-E-M-O-N-S.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd, broadcasting live on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Greg Blaze. I want to give you a little public service announcement before we begin. If you like this show and others on our network, please check out our Her- the Heritage Radio Network's Kickstarter. The link is on our homepage. Our website is at heritageradionetwork.org, and it's the table we gather around to share our stories, advice, recipes, music, life lessons, and so much more. We need your help to rebuild a new improved website before the coding language that supports our site expires at the end of the year. Plus, there are some great rewards at each donation level, so please check it out. If you love good food and great conversation, please help us out. And speaking of food and great conversation, on today's episode, I'm really really happy to have Lisa Hall of Saxon Creamery on the line. How are you, Lisa? I'm great, Greg. It's good to hear from you again. It's always good to hear from you. I always uh, wanted to mention uh, Raw Milk Cheese Appreciation Day was last Saturday. We had a great great episode last week about it. I was checking out all the Instagram posts at hashtag uh, Raw Milk Cheese, and it's incredible how many people participated. I know Saxon creates special and several pasteurized cheeses as well, and I think the beauty of the day is the idea of choice. You know, that we should have the choice of what we want to make and consume, given safety standards and such. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Um, Both cheeses have so much to offer for whatever it is that you like. How did you celebrate Raw Milk Cheese Appreciation Day? Yep, we sure did. Um, We had a special going on here at the store, and, of course, we did a bit of it on Facebook and just trying to promote the raw milk cheeses, um, including one of ours, which is Glacial Lakes. 
Nice. Uh, so Lisa was on the show last spring for episode 174. Definitely check it out if you haven't heard it yet. Uh, she talked to us briefly about the alarming decrease in smaller family farms in Wisconsin and her own story of trying to get a loan for a tractor. That's a great episode, and you can find <laughs> it archived on heritageradionetwork.org. And at the end of the episode, I kind of left a, at a cliffhanger, and I said you would tell us more about Big Ed the next time I had you on, uh, which is a story you had told me when I visited Wisconsin last year. So I was hoping you could tell us who Big Ed is and who, who, how you came to, to know this guy and, and, and to love him and his story. Sure, sure. Um, well, Big Ed, uh, one of the things about um, Edward Klesik, he would be the fourth generation of the Saxon Homestead Farm. Um, he was quite a, a rebel in his time, um, but I came to know him probably eight, nine years ago. He had had an accident, and he became a quadriplegic, and he needed someone to take care of him. And I happened to be just down the road, and so the family had hired me to take care of him and take him to doctor's appointments and be his caregiver. And that's how I got to know him. And in the four years that I had worked for him, I don't think I met a greater person in my life than him. Oh, that's amazing. Why so? Yeah. He stood for a lot of things, and <clears throat> I think the biggest thing is that he, he really um, loved the land, and he loved animals, and he loved the environment, and he wanted to keep things as natural as possible. When you say that he was a rebel in his time, um, how do you mean that? Well, one of the stories that he loved to tell, and I don't think anybody... Um, you know, ever tired of hearing it. Uh, in 1976, there was a proposal for a major interstate highway to go from Milwaukee to Green Bay. And with laying that highway, it was going to interrupt 2,300 acres of prime farmland and woodland. And his property being one of them, that really bothered him. And so his wife and himself took five years to fight this this proposal <clears throat> um, and when they actually started laying down the, the bed for laying the interstate yeah. he actually laid down in front of the bulldozers <laughs> nice. and, and then he got pulled uh, took they got taken to jail and then his wife had to bail him out and immediately they started planning their next um, fight uh, so they went ahead and loaded up several milk cows and some fencing and they went to the capital of Wisconsin which is Madison and right underneath the governor's window they set up a fence and had their cows and they just waited until the governor would come down and talk to them about this this highway and, and how it was going to really go through um, a lot of prime land and interrupt a lot of the agriculture in our area. Did the governor come down and talk to him? Yes, yes, um, he did, and actually became quite good friends with with uh, with Ed after that, and and years to come. <clears throat> Excuse me, but the resolution um, after battling it for five years is is the federal government did um, agree to reduce the median strips, which would save about two hundred acres. And I know it sounds like a small amount compared to the twenty three hundred acres that they were going to go through. But still, he, he did one in his little way, and he, and he, he did reserve, you know, and, and get 200 acres, um, you know, that, that got to stay as a farm. And then the, the important thing, it would seem to me, is that, you know, by doing that, he made people aware 
uh, that, you know, that their land might may be taken away for reasons unbeknownst to them and powers, you know, greater mm-hmm. than them, or at least that's how I, I would, I would Oh, think absolutely. Yeah. And, yep. uh, well, that's a great story. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I'm, I, oh, I'm sorry. Please go on. Um, and so, so I guess when, after, um, Ed's passing, the cheese factory really started to, to take off. And when it came to one of the first cheeses that we made, it was a Gouda style. And when we uh, decided to start to market the cheese, we knew we had to come up with a name. And I, and I recall the family had sat around an old rickety antique table that was in our, in our office here. And, and they came up with names. And, and one, of the, one of the children um, had said, well, why don't we call it Big Ed? Um, because it's it's big, it's bold, um, and it hugs you back every time <laughs> you know you're around them. So that's how we got our first cheese. The first name was Big Ed. Oh, that's fantastic! In his honor. Mm-hmm. I like uh, I like that story, and uh, and I like people like that who stand up for what they believe in. Um, I'm glad you told us that. So I wanted to ask you a couple questions. Um, sure. You know, uh, I wanted to ask you about the word sustainability. It's an important word, you know, in the rhetoric around the food movement. And I want to know what sustainable agriculture means for cheese, in your opinion. What are dairy companies, other dairy companies, doing to support environmentally sound and sustainable practices, especially around you? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question um, because, you know, just in my experiences in working here, I think I've grown to really appreciate some of the things that, that the Saxon Farm and the Saxon Creamery do um, to sustain agriculture and make a good product. Um, it, some of the unique things that we do is um, the farm that provides us the milk, they have a highly efficient and a livestock sensitive and they're very environmentally friendly. And what some of those things mean is they have about a thousand acres. They've put 900 acres of that into permanent pastures. And that's what the cows are grazing on. That's fantastic. And the benefits of that, which benefit the environment in our community, is that um, it minimizes the groundwater, um, the runoff of, yeah. of groundwater. Um, the, uh, it reduces agricultural chemicals and fertilizers and land erosion. And these are all things that Ed Klesek put in place years and years ago. So this, this family has really been environmentally sound for, for four generations. Um, and in a process that all reduces our carbon footprint. Um, you know, we're not using um, gases and fertilizers and chemicals. We're just allowing the cows to graze on natural grasses. They're fertilizing it with their manure, it breaks down, and they have a really rich, rich soil. Nice. Well, what, are the ch- what are the challenges in, in creating an economically sustainable venture like that, <laughs> uh, both for your company and for the community around it? Um, you know, and that's a really good question because um, we do have challenges because of our weather. Um, if you have a frost and a thaw and a frost and a thaw, we can lose quite a bit of our, our pastures and having to retill them and then replant them, um, which is what we're trying to reduce, having to till that land and having to, you know, rip it up 
and things like that. We want to try and keep it as, as sound as possible or as natural as possible. So weather can be a challenge for us. Um, other than that, it's, it's about as easy as that. The cows are on, you know, the way nature wanted them to be. They're out there. Um, the extra paddocks, when they're not on pastures, you know, that are further away from the farm, they cut those and they store those feeds for them for winter. So they have, you know, a constant grass-based diet all year round. Yeah, and it would seem that, uh, I mean, if do all do do you know of other farms that operate that way or uh we're actually one of the largest pasture-based farms oh that's great and it really has worked for them so in the last episode you mentioned that there um you mentioned a solution for the decrease in small-scale farming would be Mm -hmm. to educate young people about farming and i wanted to know if you could expand on that a little bit for me too Sure. Um, I really think that we need to get our younger generations involved in anything to do with agriculture, um, whether it be, um, you know, farms where they, they'll, you can, you can go to these farms for a summer and learn, like an internship. They yeah. do that in a couple farms in our community here. And I think that is just so vital because they're going to learn everything from, you know, growing crops to, you know, how, caring for livestock to, um, you know, being able to figure out what, what crops you need. And, and it is, it's an education um, that needs to be shared from one generation to the next. Are children out there interested in doing that? Are, are you yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we do have um, quite a few egg classes in our high schools, which is a great thing. Um, I know specifically, I know the Saxon Homestead Farm, they hire, like right now is their calving season, and so they have 360-some calves that have been born since March 1st. Nice. And they hire kids um, to take care of these calves. And all the children that are there, the ages are ranging from 18 down to 11. <clears throat> and they're caring for these animals and learning, you know, life and death how to feed them, how to care for them, you know, to, to notice if they're ill or not, um, and when to move them, you know, from their pens to the pasture. Um, I, I know that is just so vital. Are they, are they going to help, you know, this education, is that going to help the, the decrease in small-scale farming in Wisconsin, do you think? I, I really hope so. Um, the scale, the sliding scale is there, and I really hope that the family farm doesn't go away, but it does look that, you know, that they're reducing every every year. There's less and less of them, and the larger farms are, you know, absorbing their cows. Um, but that's that's also a good thing, too, because, you know, kids can learn that, that style of farming. Um, it's on a much bigger scale. You still have to have um, management for the diet of the cows and, and veterinary skill, skills and things like that. Um, I just think any way that any kid can get into any type of farming or agriculture is a good thing. Um, our state of Madison, they've got a great... Um, um, Center for Dairy Research when it comes to egg classes and learning how to make cheese and ice cream and, and um, veterinarian school and everything. You know, our, our state is so rich with these things. Absolutely. I just, I had, it struck me when I, when I spoke to you last when you, when you told me 
that you know, there used to be one or two, you know, uh, there's a, there's a newspaper that you talked about that sure. comes out, and uh, mm-hmm. and the amount of people whose farms I guess were going under, or being foreclosed on, or are up for sale, um, has increased exponentially. Um, has that leveled off any since I last talked to you, or do you see um, it leveling? Well, the off? average farm here in Wisconsin still is about a hundred cows, which doesn't seem like a lot, but uh, you know, there's a lot of family farms that uh, survived and and made a good living on fifty cows. So, you know, those are the ones that are the ones that are, are not having a generation coming up that want to take over the farm. Um, you know, so our average still is about 100 cows, um, but there's much larger farms, too, that have, you know, 6,000 cows. And you, and you're, so those, those little guys are getting absorbed by the big guys. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, is that, and you say that you don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing in some cases because, uh, you know. No, because we're still keeping agriculture in Wisconsin. Right, exactly. Um, you know, the family farm, you know, that, that business model is, is you know, I, I fear. I fear it's going to be gone. But still, if we can keep agriculture in our state and keep the milk flowing and provide, you know, really good um, cheeses and milk and yogurt, uh, that's all good. Well, when you say you fear that that's going to be gone, does that also make you worried about raw milk cheeses? Are these are these larger farms going to pasteurize all that milk? Yeah, 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 and that too. I I I feel that we're losing our raw milk producers. Um, it, it does worry me that you know raw milk is getting harder and harder um, one to buy, and it's also the raw milk cheese producer. Um, I think it's getting fewer and fewer. Yeah, you see, we had this like so we had this wonderful celebration on Saturday, and so many people participated in it. And like I like I said in the beginning, and what I've always felt, and when I spoke to uh, to Brad, <clears throat> well, I was here with Ann. Um, huh? It's choice. I think choice is the important way to look at it. You know, pasteurizing milk. In some cases, and in a lot of cases, is necessary and not and not a bad thing, but mm-hmm. but um, when you when you talk about the small scale farm and it's going to go you know it's going to go away or it's going away it looks yeah. like it looks like that then once you get to a certain <clears throat> tipping point it's really hard to stop that sort of thing from happening right yeah I, mean, um, I agree and that's what I I think you know that's how I feel I feel like it's it's going to be gone by the wayside that's a shame. Um, it is. Uh, it, it is for me, um, uh, but thankfully, you know, you guys make some tasty pasteurized cheese. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Thank you. Well, we also talked a little bit last week about the health benefits of cheese, you know, um, sure. and public health is also an important aspect of the sustainability discussion. So uh, what do you think about cheese as a health food? Um, definitely any any type of dairy is good for for. Everybody, you know, the, they still recommend three dairy in a day, um, and I, I really think that cheese provides uh, a, a good source of dairy and calcium. Um, I, I know specifically for our cheese and, and our the milk that comes into us, um, something that's kind of unique. Um, the Saxon Farm had made a decision about eight years ago to do what's called um, a breeding program to breed A2 um, cows to produce an A2 milk. 
I'm not sure if you've heard much about it, but... I have not been, but maybe some of our listeners has. Maybe you can expand a little bit about what sure, that's about. Sure, sure. Um, that could be a program all in itself, Greg. <laughs> but, I'll have you on as many times as I can. Yeah. <laughs> there is, um, there is, there is, um, if you do some reading on it, yeah. there is two types of milk, an A1 and an A2. Um, and really, the only difference is um, one of the beta casein proteins is what the difference is between the okay. two. And, and the Saxon farm had decided about eight years ago to only breed their cows to breed an A2 cow. And, and to them, what that meant is that this was going to be of interest someday. They're gonna, this could be something that we could use as a marketing tool. Um, because people are going to become more aware of their food and how their food affects their health. And, you know, in those eight years, they have been doing quite a few studies. Um, I think there's a lot more to learn about it. Um, but some of the things that I, I noticed is that um, they're talking about, they just did a study that an A2 milk can help either eliminate or reduce lactose intolerance symptoms. Ah, that's a big deal. And that is a really huge deal. If, if, they, if they really continue to, to monitor that, and there's, there's some truth to that, that would allow people who can't have lactose um, in any form, they could actually enjoy cheese, or they could actually enjoy ice cream. Yeah, man, what, what is a world without ice cream? I do not want to know what kind of world that, that would be. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I know. But they're also looking at a couple other things. Diabetes, they're doing some testing right. on, and autism. Really? And if it would be so simple as to just a type of milk, that would be amazing. It sure would. I agree with so you So I there. guess that's one thing that, you know, kind of um, makes us a little bit special. Um, the other thing, too, is our, our herd, the way they breed their cows, um, they, they breed them so that we have a real quality milk. And this milk has a lot more protein and cream and um, that adds to the flavor and the texture of our cheeses. Um, some, some would say that there's, there might be more calcium in it, but I, I don't know that that study, you know, if that's true or not. Yeah, but, but you, you know, know the know, texture and the richness is there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we also have a lot of character in our milk, too, which um, comes into play with the way the cows are out on grass, our changes in season, and um, the type of cows that, are, that they have. Certainly. Um, I mean, I would like to I'd like I need to do a little bit more research on uh, on a one to a one cows versus a two cows. That's uh, I find that really interesting. Um, it is. Now we're going to have to take a short little break, uh, but we're going to come back. We're talking to Lisa Hall of Saxon Creamery. The Academy Opus Cassius is the cheese industry's unique center for professional development, offering both practical and classroom training for cheese professionals ready to move their careers to the next level. When you come to learn at the Academy, we instill our love for cheese, our expertise, and our experience so that you can support artisanal producers, impeccably care for the fine cheeses you carry, and serve your customers with skill and enthusiasm. We integrate hands-on practice, formal instruction, and classroom discussion in all of our courses. The Academy's programs are offered at the Mons Fromagerie in the heart of France, where cheese undergoes affinage and cheeses are received, prepared, and shipped. 
Several Mons retail shops are nearby. The surrounding countryside is the home to producers whose excellent cheeses are cared for by the Mons team. The Mons cheese business has more than 50 years' experience caring for and teaching about cheese in France, a country known as the source of some of the world's greatest cheeses, deepest cheese tradition, and the highest level of technological research and rigor in cheese making and ripening. The Academy has been recognized by the American Cheese Society as the first approved education center for those preparing for the certified cheese professional exam. Enroll now for Essential Foundations for Cheese Professionals or Affinage, the Art and Science of Maturing Cheese. For more information, visit www.academy-mons.com That's A-C-A-D-E-M-I-E M-O-N-S dot com Certified Cheese Professional is a registered trademark of the American Cheese Society. This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org Before the break, we were talking to Lisa Hall of Saxon Creamery. I wanted to take this opportunity to congratulate you, Lisa, on your 2015 U.S. Cheese, U.S. Championship Cheese Contest win. Uh, for those of you who are out there, Snowfields took first place in open class and made it to the Sweet 16, which is the top 16 cheeses in the United States. Um, it's a great accomplishment. I know, and then the last time you were on the show, I was eating Snowfields while you were on the air. <laughs> so congratulations to you for Thank that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we really appreciate it. It was very humbling to be there, um, and it was just a very uh, exciting night to, to be able to see that our cheese was recognized. Let's get some good stuff. I mean, uh, well, it's like I remember when I was visiting you in the in the creamery, and I tasted it. I was like, I, I just have to have this, and it's, it's so it's so easy to eat. Um, it just appeals to all palates. Um, and I really, you know, congrats on that. And uh, you know, I'll always be carrying it. And uh, I'm sure, yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, so we didn't get to talk too much about Saxon Creamery in depth the last time you were on. Uh, so I would love to take the opportunity now just to talk about Saxon. You know, what, what you, you had mentioned before is a fifth generation Wisconsin family farm in Cleveland, Wisconsin. And you use, you use only milk from your pasture-based herd. So can you tell us about the history of the creamery? and what you guys are all about? Sure, sure. Um, we started this primary in 2007, and it really was a dream of um, one of the partners. And we really wanted to take our milk, because we thought we had some, some good milk, and make some good cheese with it. And we wanted to model them after European styles. And... Right now, we're making 10 different types of cheeses, and we're working on 11 and 12. Um, one of the first cheeses, as I mentioned, was our Gouda. And then we also made a, a unpressed monastery-style uh, wash-rinded cheese. It's called Greenfields. Yeah, I'm familiar. And that one, too. I mean, there's there's quite a technique to our, to our cheeses, and there's quite an art to it. Um, it's a lot of hands-on. Um and then we made a Saxony and Alpine style and a pasture's cheddar. And we made those for the first couple of years, and then we started branching out. And we, we try and hit, um, you know, a different flavor profile. And, um, you know, we have a fresh Asiago style. And we have, um, oh, our newest one that should be coming out this year. We are making a... Uh, a, a cheese reminiscent of a, a French Comte. Really? And it, 
Yep, and it's called Ferme Meadows. I'm gonna get interested in that. So, you're uh, are you um you is that currently aging right now? How how long are you gonna age that cheese? It is aging, um, and and this is this is quite a process, and this kind of helps you understand you know the art of this cheese. It, we've actually been working at it for almost three years. This July it'll be three years. Um, we work with the you know the Center Dairy Research uh, here in Madison on on this new cheese, and it took us about a year and a half between the aging and the making, and we really felt like we had the right recipe, and we made our first batch last November, and they're you know a good size, a good twenty pound wheel, and um, we ideally want to age it out about seven eight months. And it's tasting very good right now. I'm sure it is. <laughs> Conte is a good thing to eat. It is. And, and you know that, too. It's a learning process. And learning our milk, um, we have it narrowed down. I, we made that cheese in November, so there's going to be a little extra cream in, in, in that cheese. But you want to have a, a more of a firmer cheese sort of a little bit drier, and so we, we understand that we need to make this milk with spring, summer, and, and, and fall milk with that cheese. So we'll, we'll come into production here very shortly once those cows are out on grass. That's going to add so much character to the milk and so much flavor to the cheese. You know, so so you make a number of cheeses, and one one thing I always wonder whenever I talk to uh, whenever I talk to cheesemakers is, um, why do you make that many cheeses? I mean, is it is it because you 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 have more milk, or because you just want to make new cheeses? Why like why why that many? Like, do you just get interested in other styles of cheese making? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I I really like to keep things basic. You know, our our first four are four biggest sellers. Because that's a cheese we've done, and we we've been able to do it well. You're talking about big fit, uh, big ads, green fields. Yep. Um, Saxony and pastures. Saxony and pastures. You started yep. out with those, and yep. Uh, yep. and you branched out from there. Uh, the snow didn't. But was it a need base to branch out, or did you, you guys yes. just want to? Yep. Okay. Yep. The demand is there, and customers are asking for something unique and special, and. Um, those two, they are growing in popularity. Um, but again, I, I too, I, I agree. Sometimes, sometimes just keeping it simple, doing what you do well with. Um, but no, we we have learned that we need to to branch out. So there, everybody's always looking for that newest cheese. Um, Snowfields actually was sort of an accident because we were making what we thought was Big Ed's and in the winter, <laughs> but it never tasted like Big Ed's. We couldn't understand it until we started actually breaking down our make sheets, breaking down all our testing, and, and realized that the cream in Snowfields is over 5% in the wintertime. Um, it's making a completely different cheese. So, bang, suddenly you have one of the top 16 cheeses in the United yeah. States. Yeah, our mistake becomes, yeah, a that's first awesome. place. <laughs> that's, that's the best. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the best. So, what, so you said so there's a fifth, uh, Saxon's fifth generation. Uh, yeah. So, what is the, you know, what's the biggest challenge in maintaining a family, like, farm, a family farm for that many generations? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question, especially because when um, – from the time that the great-grandpa to now the children of Ed are running this farm, 
this farm has has changed. It used to be a, um, <clears throat> a confined farm where the cows were in the barns, um, and and they had all their land into crops. To turning full circle, and now all the land is in pastures, and the cows are out. They're rarely confined, only on really bad weather days. Um, it, it, it has come full circle. Um, even when Ed Klesik had the farm, all those cows were all registered Holsteins because that's the cow in Wisconsin. And uh, one of the boys had gone to New Zealand and learned their pasturing system, learning their cows and, and um, <clears throat> you know, how do they run their farms over there and came back with these ideas of, you know what, well, let's turn this into pasture, let's crossbreed our cows, let's get a nice rich milk. And... Um, they ripped up those papers, the registered papers, and they changed the way they're farming. And so now, when you look at it today, what are some of the challenges? I think the family really is going to have some challenges looking for the next generation, that sixth generation coming up. That's what I are mean. Are they going to take over? Right. So how, how do you get the kids to, to stay on the farm? You know, how do you, yeah. how do you get them to keep doing that? And because, I mean, there's a lot of other distractions out there. You know, there's, yeah. there's a lot of other ways to live. And, um, I mean, I think that, and then just just conjecture, that, that might be a reason why the family farm is going away, partially. Because yeah. um, maybe the kids don't want to do that because you're going to get up at 4 a.m. and go to sleep at midnight, you know, to run yeah. the joint. But um, do you think they're going to go for, is, is it, are the kids interested over there and still doing it? Um, I, I think uh, there's still one in high school. Maybe he'll be the one, but there there are two, um, and there's a couple in, in grade school yet on the other side too. There's still a chance. There's still a chance. There's a couple that are that have gone through college and they have their careers, and um, but I, I there's still a chance that the the younger ones will still come up. Um, they're there every day. They're feeding calves. Um, I really hope so because it's a really special um, farming model and. Uh, you know, it, they really produce a, a quality milk and cheese. Now, see, and then that question is something that I that I ask or that I mull over in my head all the time when I'm selling cheese. Is you know, we have a lot of really amazing cheesemakers in America now, and but how long how long are their cheeses going to be being made? You know, right. how, I mean, are their kids going to do this? And why are people doing it? Why are they making cheese? here yeah. in the United States. If a family farm is going away and there's a certain generation of, of Americans that are interested in making cheese, um, are their kids going to do that? Do you know? And, and yeah. Is, I, it's, just a, it's just something I wonder about with cheese. When I, when I go overseas and I visit places where cheese has been being made for three, four generations and, uh, uh, or, or longer, and I wonder whether or not they, those kids, maybe those kids like want to come to America and live in New York City. You know, and, you know <laughs> they'd be crazy to do that. But do you know what I mean? So it's like, it, yeah. is it a concern for you guys that that? Um, I know, I know. Me personally, it does touch home because <clears throat> I do feel that um, even cheese making, the art of making cheese, has changed dramatically. Um, we're really hands-on here, and we um, have open vats, and we make small batches. Um, to you know the the another cheesemaker who has closed vats and it's stainless steel and they right. push push buttons when things need to to happen. So even our younger generation of cheesemakers coming in, 
they're not necessarily learning the the art of making right. cheese. Putting their hands um, so in I the do, It touches home because I think about that here. When I have to hire a cheesemaker, if I have to hire someone for out there, most of the people I, I, I'm interviewing don't have experience. Um, and, and I would just love to see that younger generation, you know, get involved. Get your hands in the vat. What do we do to make that happen? Oh, <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I know our, our state here, they do have the cheesemakers course, and you have to be licensed to be a cheesemaker in Wisconsin. We're one of the only states that does. So I know that they do a fair amount of, of um, you know, promoting that here in Wisconsin. Uh, Other states, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not sure. There's got to be a way. You know, we won't let mm-hmm. it go away. I mean, I know so many cheesemongers. You know, it's easier to be a cheesemonger than a cheesemaker. Uh, we take all your products and your beautiful stuff you make, and uh, and we sell it. You know, and uh, you can you can always find cheesemongers. You know, I think I think maybe the way is to, you know, to take cheesemongers and make them eventually into cheesemakers. And that's, I think so. I think that's the way to go. Um, so, you know, I think so. Some really, sort of... uh, because they have they have a passion for what they do, and that's another thing is just finding people with a passion, um, because it is a true art form. Just like an artist, just like a musician, it, there's there's a lot of passion that goes into, it, and a lot of your heart and soul go into it. It's true, but it's also a very process-oriented job. You need some people who are willing right to wake up and do the same thing, the same thing over and over and over again. You know, yep. and, and that leads me to my last, you know, my last question for you. You know, so with all of the with all of the elements, um, you know, and. With unstandardized milk, seasonality, all the challenges of maintaining that family farm. How do you guys do so well and create such a consistent product? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> it is when I look at the cheese that we make, I, I look at it as an art, and it's um, there's an artisan process to it because the more we're doing this, the more we're understanding, the more we're learning. We're understanding our milk, and we're understanding on the farm aspect what the cows are eating affects the milk that they make, and that also affects the cheese that we make. So it it, it definitely is a learning curve, and we're getting it. Um, we're learning that you know our cheese or our milk, I should say, that comes in changes from season to season, changes from. Um, where the cow is in her lactation, um, a cow has to have a baby every year. So usually the last two months before she calves, she is no longer productive. They don't take any milk from her. So, um, But when she's late in lactation, she's giving us a really high-fat milk. Um, we take that milk in every day. We do do some testing on it to see kind of where we're at, and we adapt our recipes to take in whatever nature gives us. So, for instance, let's say our our snowfields, it has a higher pre, um, fat and protein, um, more cream is in that milk. We don't standardize, so we don't take off cream and make it all 3%. We just make cheese every day, yeah. and we change our recipe. So either we'll stir it out more 
Um, we might press the cheese more. We might cut the, the curd smaller or larger, depending on what's going on with their milk. And it's amazing that our cheesemakers know it. Um, they can have their hand in the vat. They're checking to see, if, you know, has, has the milk coagulated enough? Is it time to cut the curd? And they'll come and they'll say, or they'll call up here in the office and say, what are the fats today? Because they can feel the difference. That's great. So you got what you know is you know good milk makes good cheese and uh, the good milk is is always good, but it's good for different reasons at different times of the year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think I think that's what you're telling me here. Well, Lisa, I want to thank you so much for coming on the air today. It's always nice to speak to you. Um, for any of you who have not had Snowfields or any of the great cheeses from Saxon Creamery, you better get out there and try some because they get bought up pretty quick. Uh, stay tuned for another episode next week of Cutting the Curve. Take care. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.